Hi, my name is Hans Peter Meyer, and I'm the host of the Men's Work Podcast, where you'll find interviews with men and with women. You'll find yoga classes, you'll find reflections, you'll find a lot of material to hopefully help you move through the tests that life has handed you end of marriage, loss of job, marital relationship stress, fatherhood, just being overwhelmed. It's a lot. So listen, if you need to talk, I've got no charge mini coaching sessions at menswork.ca. Enjoy the show. Good morning. My name is Hans Peter Meyer, and I am the host of this series of conversations, men's work conversations. This morning, I'm talking to Sean Cook. Sean and I spoke some time ago about men and mental health issues. And today I want to talk to him about men and change, men going through transitions. We're going to get started in a minute, but if you're listening to this, whether you're listening to it live or listening to it on the podcast, I just want you to take a couple of minutes to just settle into being here. So one of the things that afflicts us as as men is this wanting to do a number of things at the same time or trying to juggle things or feeling the pressure to do multiple things and if you're listening to this on the podcast you might actually be at work or going for a walk or whatever so i want you just if you can just to stop everything and take a deep breath in through your nose And just hold that breath for a couple of counts and then relax the breath a little bit slower. So the next time we do it, you're going to breathe in for the count of four. So breathing in now. And hold it for the count of six. And then exhale for the count of eight. And again, inhale for the count of four. Hold for the count of six. And exhale for the count of eight. And then just breathe normally. So what you've just done right now is slowed your whole body down, your whole, your mind down, your parasympathetic nervous system. That means that you're more likely to take in what Sean has to say. This is a great practice for when you shift from being at work to coming home, especially if you're coming home to someone you love, your spouse, your lover, your children. It's a great practice if you're stepping into some place where you're feeling a little bit of anxiety or stress. It starts to create the space where you can respond rather than react to what life hands you. Now, my guest today, and I'm not going to ask him to give a little elevator pitch about who he is, because I think that's one of the one of the traps that we get into is somehow we're supposed to 
make this first impression that impresses people. Instead, I want you to listen to what he has to say and maybe over the next 60 or 90 minutes, you'll actually get to know him in a deeper way than if I just invited him to give his pitch. And we're going to talk a little bit later about friendships and how important that is. And, and I want you to think about that when we start talking about that, how we, we want information quickly and we want it succinctly. And then we want to keep moving on the course that we've set. It's important to break that habit and to start opening up to what's not on our course trajectory and consider that the people that we don't give enough attention to might be the people who we actually need to give attention to and who have the most to give us. Anyway, that's for later. <clears throat> Thanks for being here, Sean. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a chance to pitch who you are. We're going to find out who you are. And you're going to tell us all kinds of reasons that some of us will want to connect with you. And I will be providing that information when I post this. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks I, for having me, Hans. Some time ago, we talked about men and mental health. And since then, I've been following you on social media. And at some point last year, it's just, I thought, well, I want to talk to this guy. I want to hear about this year of transition you went through, that's what it kind of what it looked like to me. You didn't call it that, I don't think. But you went through a lot of changes in a relatively short period of time. Some of which are the kind of things that burden us as men because we don't have a way to handle them. So I, uh, I'm going to shut it up now for a while. And I just want you to talk about your year of transition and, and how you did that. Yeah, thanks, Hans. Um, and I love how you started us with a practice of slowing down. And <clears throat> I just want to invite one more very simple thing. As you're listening to this, just notice where your tongue is in your mouth. Oftentimes, our tongue is pressed up to the top of our mouth, and that's us listening to respond. But if you really want to listen to receive, drop that tongue back down to the bottom of your mouth. Let it relax and just notice what happens both to your face and your nervous system when you do that. You'll notice that you are much more receptive. And so talking about a year of transitions, um, I have called it many things. Amongst them is a year of transitions. And it all started actually two Octobers ago. So I guess that would be 2021, October. And my partner at the time, was away 
And all of a sudden, my dog, who was seven at the time, started having seizures. He, it was like the first thing one morning, he dropped to the floor and started having a seizure. And for any of you men who have dogs, you know that they are a very special bond. I was very worried about him, so I took him to the vet. And his special gift is he is a lover. He is exceptional at loving, exceptional at receiving love. And the prognosis is that his heart was too big. And he was given three to six months to live. So there I am without my partner, worried sick about my dog, and starting to say goodbye to him. Um, To give you all a happy ending, he is actually still with us currently. Um, So he's sticking around with his big heart. But that began my year of transitions, as you said. Um, and the next transition that came up, so my partner at the time, um, we were about six years in and I had asked her to, to marry me pretty early on in the relationship. And we had lived many relationships to that point. And so she actually asked me, she said, if you're serious about this, would you ask me again? I said, sure. So I planned us a getaway. I'm sure it was not very sneaky. I'm sure she knew exactly what was going on. And I ordered a ring. And by the time the getaway came around, that ring was nowhere to be seen. So I had nothing to present her. And it turned out to be the greatest blessing. We went and had a wonderful weekend away. I did not ask her because I didn't feel I could without the ring. And in that weekend, we really enjoyed each other. And then everything just started to fall away. All of the masks that we have, all of the, you're, you're the one and you need to be the one because we've been together for so long just fell away and we just started looking at our relationship differently. And by the time Christmas rolled around, there was kind of a silent agreement between us that we would just get through Christmas because we were gonna go spend it with some friends and and then talk. And that's what happened just after Christmas. Um, You can tell it's still emotional, but Um, yeah, just after Christmas, what is now two years ago, we split up. And we went through several different phases of splitting up, as many people do. Um, It was very amicable at first. Um, I moved into the cabin right next door. There was two cabins on the property we rented. And we were still walking the dogs every morning. And then I won't go into the nitty gritty, but over the course of a week, things completely flipped to having the blinds drawn. Please contact me only by email. It felt like I had my heart ripped out of my soul. 
And all through this, you know, I'm trying to stay agreeable, trying to stay nice. Then I caught COVID. And COVID meant that my tradesperson job that I ran, I ran a business, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it for such a length of time that uh, I couldn't maintain my employees. I couldn't train new ones. So I had to shut down that business. And I actually mm -hmm. fully transitioned to that business. It was transitions being tough and a blessing meant that I transitioned to full-time coaching. And that was an incredible blessing. And at the same time, I decided to take a look at the other career that I was deeply entwined with is firefighting. I was a firefighter for since 2013 is when I first started volunteering. I first got a job as a career firefighter in 2017. And I started looking at the culture that was there and that it wasn't fitting me, that I was having to sacrifice parts of myself to be there. And I started looking at where I was living in Northern Canada, in the Yukon. Beautiful, beautiful place with beautiful people. But I started to realize that it was no longer serving who I was and who I wanted to be. So I started saying goodbye to the home, the very first place that I had ever decided to put down roots after 12 years. So I tested it, I went away, and almost as soon as I returned back to the Yukon, they started packing up. My father passed away. And that was obviously also a trying time. Um, once again, a transition that was a blessing in disguise. My, you know, obviously I miss my father. Um, but our family has never been closer. We have come together. We work together now. Um, we have regular family meetings with all of us. There are six of us remaining, so that is quite a task. And it came, it, it brought me through a lot. And my year of transition has continued. I have officially moved out of the Yukon now. And I am back down south, as we call it, on the outside of the Yukon. Uh, relocated to Vancouver and before you dive in here because I'm, I'm coming to the end of this year I just want to say if there was one thing that carried me through all of this is community so with that I will end my spiel and hand this mic back to you Hans hey that's um that's a lot I mean every one of those things is huge um and i um yeah thank you for i you know for talking about it but also uh for obviously still feeling this stuff so from a 
I was part of a, there's a group at UBC, researchers doing research on men's health. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of that or if you're part of that, maybe even. I was part of a call. It was, you know, I, I was just some guy who was interested and they let us sit in and listen. And, and the things that you've described, you know, end of relationship, father passing, losing losing your business leaving community those are all things that for lots of men end up with either severe depression or suicide yeah so before we go any further i just want to say that you know you and i and i mentioned this really you and i started talking because you were doing work around men and mental health or raising that as an issue The year that got handed to you, you know, that that you seem to have dealt with very gracefully is the kind of thing that undoes most of us one at a time. And I, as somebody who has dogs and has had dogs most of his life, I I know I know how significant that is. And especially if you're one of those guys out there who probably has a closer relationship to your dog than to anybody else. You know, a sick dog or a dying dog is it, it's it's big stuff, and and I don't say that as like you know get a life kind of thing. It's like dogs are 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 dogs have been my lifeline at times when when all I needed was somebody just to hold space for me and to show me how to laugh and to drag me out in the woods and get out of my you know, four walls. So, you know, well, anyway, there's yeah. lots of different kinds of transitions we go through. You've, you've just given us a list of a lot of them. And if anybody's listening and who has got any one of those things and is struggling with it or any, there's any of the other things you know that could be going on you know when one of my marriages ended i well when two of them ended i had to also deal with the loss of family because there were children involved mm. so there are guys you know who are listening to this who know that one there are guys who know about you know building a family home and having a dream around that and having to leave that and for lots of us that's the physical act of, of creating a home especially for our family and our loved ones is that's really hard hard stuff anyway there's lots of reasons for us to to feel a lot as we go through any kind of change so you said community was what got you through so i want you to talk to more, some more about because every one of those instances i'm i'm imagining called on a different or a, a different perspective on community or something so maybe i'm wrong but mm -hmm. talk to me please talk to me about it yeah very much um the community that got me through was 
community that did look different each time. Everything from the group of beautiful humans that I was preparing to have a call with, um, like literally I was on the, like, you know, the five minutes that we had before this call, I was on that part of the call with a group of beautiful human beings when I got the call that my dad passed. So they were incredibly supportive then. And community looks in many different ways. One of the most impactful things that happened was that one of my friends just showed up at my door. And like, you know, several people had done similar things. But this man knew that I was struggling. And I'll back up a little bit to tell you that this was after my, my father had passed. I ended up spending um, somewhere around three weeks, basically exclusively with my nuclear family, my mom, my siblings. And, you know, like there were people in and out, but we were all together. And probably the most challenging time that I had was after I left that and returned to my community in Whitehorse. Um, I still had my men's group. I still had the people I was connected to digitally. Um, but <laughs> it was me and my family that went through that together. And one of these days I was really struggling and I, I left a message in one of the, the groups that I'm a part of. And this man heard it and he immediately called me, said, hey, Sean, how's it going, all of this. And I, I basically pushed him off as we men so often do. Like, oh yeah, I, I can handle it, don't, don't worry. Like I just needed to leave that message and get it off my chest. And I heard his disbelief in his voice and okay, Sean. And this wasn't a short drive. An hour later, he was on my doorstep. I said, hey, I'm here. Do you want me to turn around and go? I will, that's no problem. But I wanted to come to be here with you. If you have something to do that's planned, of course, I won't intrude. But just that act of, I know you're struggling and you didn't ask for this, but I'm gonna be here was so powerful and it's something that the part of me that idealizes the past says that used to happen but I haven't seen it happen very often in, in my life of people just showing up hey I know you're struggling I'm here you also don't need to accept so there were many different forms that that community took everything from my men's groups i'm part of several and they helped immensely to my friends reaching out and you know i'll also say this one of the best things that one person in particular she knew i was struggling through both of these challenges um the like the big ones the, the end of my relationship 
and then my father passing. She just kept sending me messages saying, hey, Sean, just thinking about you, sending you love. Please do not feel any sort of responsibility or need to respond. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. And just getting those messages and truly like receiving that, like, oh, I don't need to do anything. I can just receive this was so powerful. So I just wanted to put that here for men who know other people who are struggling. Just those messages and the reminder that you don't need to respond. Because especially someone going through a death of a beloved one is probably receiving so many messages of support that it's almost overwhelming. And just that simple of thinking about you, you don't need to respond. is so powerful and relieving. Well, you know what you just gave that that example of this friend of yours who drove for an hour to basically offer his heart without any kind of expectation or so what I see a lot of in, in myself but also in in the culture at large is what your friend did to take that risk of rejection most of us don't want to we're we're afraid of that and we don't recognize that what, what you what exactly you just said you know people who are hurting they don't need me to do anything but they need to know that i'm there if they are ready to talk yeah. go for a walk cry whatever and I just want to underline that because a lots of times, and particularly when we as men are dealing with women and we don't understand what they're going through because basically most of the time we have no clue what the fuck's going on with, with women, that they often don't need us to do anything but just know that we're there. And if they say and push or say things or push us away, it's not rejection. It's the same with men. So it's interesting because we have this, I'm going to generalize here, you know, lots of, lots of guys are really sensitive, but lots of us have got a thick skin and we're not very sensitive and we're very, but at the same time, we're very protective of our, not willing to be rejected, not willing to have our, our offers of help rejected. And I really like what you said there, you know, like, If I want to, if I really want to be a friend to another man, I need to be willing to stand there while he goes through everything he needs to go through to, to finally feel vulnerable, you know, just like, like, because, because I don't know how to do that gracefully. I mean, I'm learning, but it's not, you know, and so I need to be, I need people who don't listen to just my words, but who can actually feel into me and go, Oh, uh, he's he's sore. He, you know, the him him saying he's okay is just part of his self protection. And the words aren't what's important. It's the feeling I get from mm -hmm. this this vulnerability. And what you said there about the thick skin and guys being sensitive. I think a lot of us men 
don't give ourselves credit for how sensitive we are mm-hmm. because we are sensitive often to other people and we, we can feel that other people are going through things. We can feel that, but where we are overly sensitive and we have that super thick skin is the unwillingness to be rejected, right? Like I know in my life, so many times I have felt someone going through something and I have wanted to reach out and I didn't because I had stories that, oh my God, either they're getting so much support already or they don't want to be bugged or I, who am I to support them? I only met them a week ago or, or whatever. And so like, I really want to encourage men to allow that sensitivity that we do have of like, I can feel other people to come to the fore and not allow the vulnerability of rejection to stomp that down. And then we tell ourselves, oh, I didn't even feel it. I didn't know. And I believe that that is usually a lie. Yeah. Well, we're protecting ourselves, right? Because, because we, anyway, um, to go back to this UBC group and their research, you know, one of the things that they said that we can do as men is if you notice somebody, one of your friends is just, or acquaintance, I mean, I think whether your point was interesting, you know, about what right do I have to even offer anything? Cause I only know the guy for like a week. And that's why we're alone. I mean, I don't know if you've been looking at this research that's been coming out about like our, our friendships, you know, a generation ago, men had three friends in the States. Now we have less than one, you know, <laughs> on average. Um, it's not a good thing. You know, it, it's it's why we it's why we feel so alone and why we feel so desperate and, and probably why we're putting so much pressure on the women around us and our relationships to be yep. more than they can bear. And, like, I know you want to go a little bit further into the study, but I just want to pick something out okay. right here. Is like, I have told myself oftentimes in the past before I got into men's work, really, that I had so many friends, right? I had my hockey buddies. I had the, the guys at work who I enjoyed. I had you know, back then it was guys I also smoked pot with or got drunk with. I had so many friends, or so I told myself. Mm-hmm. But how many of those friends did I actually talk about what was real for me? Like, specifically, precisely zero, unless something big had happened and then we got <laughs> drunk. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. so how many friends do you actually have that like know your soul and how many people, how many friends do you have that you like actually know what's going on with them rather than, Oh yeah, things are good. But you know, the wife's being difficult and like, does that actually tell you anything? Do you actually know what's going on? Like, so look at your friends and how many of them actually know you? How many of them do you actually know rather than they're just agreeable to hang out with? Yeah. Well, I mean, this this brings up the 
one of the things that that's really important to me in terms of the the men that I work with and 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 what I think is a big question for us is is how do we um how do we create those friendships? You know, there's a <clears throat> I've done work with John Wineland and I and I love his his work and he's got these eleven precepts for for men's work and uh, one of them is you know to mean to to develop relationships with conscious men and uh and i look at that and i go well where the fuck do most of us find conscious men like i'm surrounded by men and uh, you know a small handful of them do i actually really trust mm -hmm. and uh you know maybe there's a bigger bunch who i might i might actually think of as their con their conscious they're actually aware of who they are <clears throat> and what's going on but the trust thing for me you know I, i'm realizing is is huge with men because i i look around and i just think you know most of us are not trustworthy mm -hmm. we don't trust our to go back to something you said you know we we do feel stuff and then we choose not to trust ourselves about those feelings because that's a scary place you know if we actually really felt this stuff oh my god we'd just be overwhelmed by these feelings and we'd never get back to stability and that really is you know a lot of what i the work that i do is and this yogic approach i mean i call it the yoga for the sacred masculine it's like like how do you learn to trust yourself how do you learn to hold space for yourself so then you can hold space for you know other men the women in your life the children in your life everybody all of us have more capacity to trust but we're afraid to do that so how do we mm -hmm. how do we build that so i mean it's really so let's go back to your your community i mean the one thing i was going to say about that study was it just said if you see somebody struggling if the guy you and even if it's guys you go out for beer with, if all of a sudden this guy is not showing up for beer night, like take that as a sign. Like <laughs> it's not just because he doesn't want to drink beer, it's because something has changed. And he probably needs you, whoever you are, to just reach out and not necessarily go for a beer because and I want to talk a bit about like how we don't feel, how to go through transition and actually not learn what we're supposed to learn there yeah we, there's, there's lots of ways of doing that but anyway so this is the psa if you're listening to this and you've got a friend who all of a sudden his behavior has changed he's not going out for beer night or he's not joining you for basketball or hockey or whatever and you call him up and say hey bob i noticed that you know you weren't you've missed hockey for a couple of weeks don't accept his excuse do what sean's friend did which is listen past that feel it and trust that feeling and show up and even if he says fuck off i'm okay just say well i'm here let's go for a walk or something or let's go and fix that porch or whatever because we have a lot of ways of protecting ourselves men and women but we're the masters you know we really are so good at just thinking that pretending that everything's okay so and like i would just ask your listeners to think 
of some of those times when you were really struggling and felt so alone. And we're just like, wow, I just wish there was someone else here with me, not to, not even to talk or to do something with, but just someone else with me. Everyone feels that and you can be that to someone. Yeah. And let's go, let's talk about talking for a second. Cause I think there's a lot of, you know, so much of the emphasis in the last, certainly the last 25, 30 years, and certainly on couples is like talk more, communicate more. And I say, you know, most of us guys aren't very good at talking. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're not communicating and it doesn't mean that we're not receiving. Mm -hmm. So if you're not somebody who's comfortable putting words to what you're feeling or trying to find words for somebody else who's in distress, just know that your solid presence is all that's needed. You know, 100%. you don't need, you don't need to say the right words. You just need to be there. And yeah. sometimes that being there is like helping somebody move. You know, if they've been kicked out of the family home, they're so fucked up that just you carrying boxes is going to be the right thing. Yeah, Whereas you yeah. trying to talk them through it is going to be like not helpful. Yeah. And that was also something that people did for me, right? Like when that transition happened between me and my former partner of like emails only, don't talk to me. My blinds are drawn. I don't even want to see you. It was also get off the property within a week and uh, three, four yeah, like I had been on that property for the majority of our relationship. And that was the, you know, he talked about building a home. That was the home that we had built for our future family. Mm -hmm. And packing up and actually leaving that was incredibly hard. Hard enough that like by the time people came to help me move, I had barely like actually put things into boxes. Mm -hmm. And they came and said, all right, great just direct us and like just being in motion with people, you know, made it 10,000 times easier than trying to do it myself. I've done that a few times, <laughs> a few too many, perhaps. Um, I've done it. And every time it's been really hard. And um, I have learned some important things by going through that. I guess one of the biggest things that I've learned is where we started, which was slow down. Right now it feels like, like you said about, you know, get off the property in a week. I mean, it was my turn to be that, that, to give that ultimatum a while ago or a few years ago and and it was the wrong thing it felt like the right thing because it felt like a clean break is what's needed here <clears throat> because i wasn't trusting what i was feeling i was going to a head place of like let's just do this clean and end it and stuff and and i want to say that pretty much anything to do with the heart 
doesn't feel clean. It feels confusing and complicated. And the more gently I go through that stuff and the more compassion I have for my own confusion and for the other person's confusion, and that's not just with, you know, marital relationships, it's with, it's with, it's with kids, it's with work, it's the more I slow down and just give things time to fall as they need to fall, the more graceful that transition is. Mm -hmm. In fact, and sometimes, you know, I, I have I have burnt bridges that that didn't need to be burned and then had to do the work, you know, over years of rebuilding the bridges. So in my in my haste to not feel the pain of the change, I created a lot more pain for all of us. I had a friend who um, married for a long time, and and his uh, longtime wife said to him that she wanted to make a change. And he, I, I, I had just, as I said, <laughs> prematurely burnt a bridge. <clears throat> and uh, this was some months later when I realized that, you know, I'd been premature. And I listened to him and I said, you know, and she, this woman was very clear. She didn't want the relationship to end. But to him, it felt like that. Mm -hmm. She was asking for a change. And I know this happens a lot in our relationships. Eventually, or even early, you know, even at some point after the honeymoon, there's an invitation for some kind of change that feels awkward. Like, it was always great. Like, why do you want to change it? <laughs> <clears throat> and, uh, and this man felt like that was the end of the relationship. And I was able to, you know, I envied him. I said, wow, you're lucky, you know, like, She's not asking for the end of the relationship. She's just asking for you to change something. And probably take your relationship to a, a better level. Mm -hmm. So I want to poke in here because this is one of the, the things that I, I speak about with my men a lot mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. relationship, right? Especially these days, we hear a lot, you know, the, the words, do the work. It's like, well, what the hell is the work, <laughs> right? It's easy to think of the work as, you know, maybe going to a men's group or speaking with your, your coach or your therapist and getting to the depths of your problems and feeling your heart, feeling your feelings and all of that. And all of that is important. That is access to the work, in my view. And the what tweaked this here for me is this word change right? Doing the work is actually allowing the work to work on you, is actually mm -hmm. allowing those changes to happen within you. That is the work day to day of being different. Obviously, you know, don't just try and fit a glove. But if, if you truly want to be different, for either for a relationship or for your kids or for your job or just for yourself, 
the work is actually allowing it in, actually allowing that change to happen. Because it's really easy to say, well, I'm diving deep into my emotions and I have strong male connections. Maybe it's not easy to say that, but, um, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I go to my men's group and I, I, I'm doing the work. No, you're doing the access to the work. The next level is allowing it to change you. Mm. Thank you. So I guess that's something, if you're listening to this right now, is I would say just take a moment and think about what are you resisting in your life? Mm-hmm. You know, it might be resisting direction from a, a supervisor. It might be resisting a request from the woman you love. the teenager you're raising. It might also be resisting seeing what those people are pointing at and actually accepting that, right? Like oftentimes our partner tells us to change and we're like, well, no, 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 it's back on you because you're doing this and I do this. Like this is some of my deep work of not just saying, well, you do this and you need to change as well. It's like, okay, what are they actually pointing at in you? And my resistance is oftentimes looking at that and accepting it's like, oh yeah, I was actually falling short there. I was not proud of how I was acting. I um to go back to the language thing again, it's I um it's not so much the words, although the words are a good pointer. But sometimes what's wrong in our in my life doesn't really have words attached to it. And uh, the more that I do, I like what you said, the more that I do the work, the more I'm actually able to allow myself to receive that stuff and and to course correct. So, you know, a lot of us, and then there's a lot of, all the leadership stuff is about like, you know, having vision and direction and all that kind of stuff. And, and while all of that's good, I think, I found in my life that that's even better than that is to do what you said, which is to be paying enough attention that I, that I can course correct. It's not that my vision's wrong or that my direction's wrong. It's that, Oh, this is not working for this person in this, in this way. And it doesn't mean that they're, that we're not going to end up in this great place that maybe we both want to be or that the business wants to be, or the family wants to be. It's that I need to do some course correction here, which is not going to kill me. No, that's the thing that I've struggled with is like, well, fuck, I have this great vision, you know, I have this, I have all these great ideas, you know, I'm a really great leader and just do what I say, you know, or like, why isn't this working for you? And, and then having the, the patience slowing down, having the patience to actually take in not so much what's being said, but feeling into what's there. So this is a, um, you know, this to me is real nervous system work. And this is why whatever, whatever you call the work, you know, for me, a big part of it is actually 
you know, yoga, like tuning my, my nervous system so that I'm actually more able to feel the stuff and more able to hold the, the wealth of information that's coming in. But the other thing is, and, and I got this from listening to David Data, he talked about, he, he was coaching a, a couple through something and he, he invited the man to think about his, his wife, his partner as an oracle. So not to not to necessarily ask her for the answers to things, but to have physical connection with her while he puzzled through things, and to pay attention to how she, how she physically, like so he was you know he was saying hold hold her hand and he said imagine you're having to hire somebody for the business and you've got three people and don't ask her what she thinks about it so much as just hold her hand at night, they're lying in bed and start talking about these people and just notice how, what her hand tells you. Because, you know, and this is such a hard thing for so many of us men, maybe it's more so with my generation than yours, but to actually accept that the women I'm close to, whether it's my lover or whether it's my daughters or whether it's my mother, know things about me that I don't have access to. Or they have a, a nervous system reading about stuff. So if I'm paying attention when I'm talking about something, if I'm paying attention to how they're responding, it actually starts to give me a sense of not what the answer is, but how I can do some course correction. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up about the, the idea of the Oracle. So she might be saying to you, you need to change or you need to do more chores around the house or something like that. And, and maybe that's true, but there's probably something else that's happening that doesn't have to do with words and has a lot more to do with, in my case, just, and as you said, just receiving her, what she's feeling, you know? If she's expressing that I'm not attending to the home or something, maybe it has to do with I'm not attending to, to her heart. And she might not be comfortable saying that to me because that's that gets into scary territory. But complaining about whether I'm taking the garbage out is... It's a safe way of saying that. I, I don't know. That's maybe not a good example, but mm -hmm. the idea of the oracle has been really helpful for me. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that because that fear of rejection mm. is so real in everyone. Yeah, like we do need, if we want to be skillful in our relationships, we do need to listen with more than just our ears, um, and like one example that comes up for me is from you know this way of superior man david data's book and i'm i'm going to probably butcher the quote but i think the essence is still there and it was it said something to the along the lines of like if you are not making her heart feel full she will fill it up with seashells on the on the you know on the hearth or on the windowsills with little little pieces that give her a bit of joy here and there because you're not giving that you're you are not 
filling up her heart. And, you know, that may not be true across the board, right? In this book, he's talking about polarities, but it is little things like that, that our men and our women are telling us, right? Like you said, if, if a guy's missing beers with the guys several weeks in a row, that tells you something. And yeah. if you can notice that, that's when you become, well, you step into the realm of mastery in relationships. And I am still very much not there. I am learning as well. But these are the, these are the things. Well, data says basically if you are if you are masculine identified and you're attracted to feminine identified beings, you're basically signing up for suffering. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's no I guess mastering is is this thing of like just learning how to receive and not and not take rejection personally, that it's just course correction. It's just always mm -hmm. you know, how and do like, I open my heart up more? Like your dog, you know, how do I exactly and like I just want to like, A, a I want to talk about creating community and friendships, but I also want to, because you've said this course correction thing a couple of times and I know in myself, like often when I'm like, oh, I have to change myself. Well, like this person should just accept me for who I am and all of that. It, a, it's generally just an ego trip of not wanting to change, but I want to ask <laughs> guys, right? How many guys are really proud of the fact that you can get from point A to point B in your vehicle? faster than anybody else because you know where the traffic is and you will course correct along the way or you see something up above and take a side street you're willing to course correct you are but are you willing to do that with yourself that's good Okay, so let's talk about a big course correction. The course correction from having lots of acquaintances and discovering that. And, well, let's call them not, let's not even say that. Let, let's say there's just a lot of people who are in that, who could be friends, but they're not. And so how do we, what do we do? What do you yeah. like? What do you do? What did you do in your year? And what are the and I mean it's ongoing, right? But and and how do you, and what do you work, how do you work with guys and how do you help them? How do you help us create those those conscious relationships with other men that yeah that help us? I mean it's 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 really a lot of what we've been talking about. It's just being real with where you're at. It's is is the simple answer um, as far as like where to find these men a you're probably already surrounded by them b if you want the hey go and find these men here men's groups go and find men's groups this is these are groups of men who are wanting to do this um and like okay well let's step back from that Okay. Yeah. So, because some of the guys who are listening to this, so for some guys going to a men's group is like, oh, easy peasy, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. but for some of us, going to a men's group is like a big, huge step. And we're not, you know, but I like what you said. Like, you've probably got men around you. How do you do the course correction in those relationships? Mm -hmm. So they're more than just guys to drink with or work with 
So you asked about how I did this in my year. And this yeah. has been almost a, like a revolution for me in this past year, right? Like, because I have been part of men's groups for several years, I could reach out to the group and say, hey, I'm struggling. What has really changed for me in this last year, and I bet a lot of men can resonate with this, is like when I'm really struggling and I need advice or I need someone to listen to me, it's not the men in my life that habitually I call. Yeah. It's, you know, my mom or my partner or, uh, you know, a friend who's a woman who I'm feeling close with. I will call them because it feels easier to be vulnerable in that way with them. Right. What has really revolutionized this this year, and this is a thing, this is what I would say is like, if you want to create these relationships, start here. When you're struggling, call a man and say, hey, I'm struggling. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> and it's the mm. most difficult thing. Mm -hmm. But that will change the game. And like even just, just doing that. And with men that I trust deeply, I still didn't really do that unless I had a structure, a container. Hey, this guy's my accountability buddy. When, I, when I'm struggling, I reach out to him. So it's like, okay, great. That, that's good. You've got permission there already. You know you're not going to be rejected because you have that structure that says, when we struggle, we, we reach out to each other. But what about that man who you trust? But you don't have that. If you can reach out and say, hey, man, like, can you help me? That is going to create a deeper level of trust. And if he says no fuck off, then he's not the man to do that. <laughs> then you've got your answer one way or the other. <laughs> That's a big risk for most of us. A hundred percent. I am. Um... As I said in our little pregame conversation, I um, I was in my early 30s and my, my best friend died of cancer. And uh, we'd been pretty close for, well, he was nine years older than me and I met him when I was 20, I think. So a dozen years, something like that. Anyway, he he and I were really tight and then he died. And uh, I was in a very challenging marriage. I didn't have a lot. I had some, you know, I, I had men around me there, but they were the guys I worked with. And they were, some of them were guys to talk to, but this guy was somebody who I really felt like this was my best friend. And I realized that I couldn't, that I needed, I needed a best friend. So I had these guys around. Like you said, there's you know, most of us are not completely isolated. And some of them were good guys. Like I, I knew they were good guys. So I started what, what I call, I look at it back at it now, and I was dating them. I was, you know, I was looking for somebody who, when I was struggling, that I could make that call because that would have been too, at that point, too scary to do something like that. Like I couldn't have just out of the blue called up one of these guys. That would have been. That was just, I was that was too risky for me. So I um, I started just 
you know, going for walks. Like, you know, I, Hey Bob, you know, you want to go for a walk on Thursday? Yeah, sure. You know? And so I started going for these walk dates with guys and, and over time, you know, some of them became closer friends and some of them, it was obvious that it was not a fit. It's not so different from finding a romantic partner, I guess is what I want to say. It's going on multiple things together and building rapport. That was, that was my process. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you can't, you know, I, I, I definitely started in the deep end with like, right. If you're struggling, ask for help. <laughs> um, and like, I base that on an assumption that you've already spent some time together, but like, to, you know, date people, as you said, to try out the waters, you can start, right. It, how many of those, how many friends do you have that you're willing to have deep conversations about it? And it doesn't need to be about you, but like, Hey, you know, I want to date Bob as well. Hey, Bob, what, what do you think? What's masculinity or what happens when we die? Right. Even these big questions yeah. that, that can be an entryway to really talking about things that is a little bit less vulnerable to you. Yeah. Well, uh, and what you, you know, all of the men, my age, your age, you know, our fathers are dying and, um, that's a really important conversation that I think most men are willing to have is like, well, like, you know, how's your dad doing, you know, or, yeah. uh, or you know, how's your relationship with your dad? Well, it goes to that, <laughs> but it starts, it starts with how's your dad doing? And then, well, my dad's pretty sick, you know, he's a real fucking prick too. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, mine was a prick too, you know? And, and then, so it's not like, I just want to say this to anybody listening, you know, it's not like, you're going to instantly fall in love or you're instantly going to have this great connection with some man. It's, it's having a series of conversations about things that matter. And it might start with, you know, I don't want to say sports because that can get quickly get sidetracked into just about sports, but it might be about, you know, working on the house. It might be about anything just some place to spend time together and then start talking about, mm -hmm. you know, it's like your dad, your mom, all of us have got aging parents, you know, that puts a whole lot of stress on all of us. Yeah. Lots of us guys aren't talking about, and like you said, we typically often we, if we have got sisters, we often leave that stuff to our sisters. So we miss out on something, but if we're paying attention, you know, we can start talking to each other and start bringing some of that depth to, you know, the relationship to my aging mother, you know, my dad died a few years ago and I just, I actually just wrote his eulogy the other day. I realized that at the time when, when he died, I was going through a lot of stuff, not, not so different from your year of transition. I mean, it was different, but you know, there was a lot of changes and I feel like I didn't, pay him enough respect at the time so right now i'm doing a a funeral celebrancy course so one of the things we had were asked to do was to write a eulogy about somebody we knew and i thought what a great opportunity to remember and process some of this stuff so 
so that's what I did. I wrote a eulogy about my dad, which I then shared with some friends and, and that's led to interesting conversations. And I think, you know, what, what, what we're saying here is find ways to start having conversations about what, what matters in your life. I have found one of the big ones has been around parenting. You know, in fact, that's probably where I first started having meaningful conversations was when I was an expectant father, but a reluctant, I was just not prepared. <laughs> it was scary as shit. And I just started to talking men about talking to other men about who I knew were fathers. And some of these guys were not necessarily men who I, who I was necessarily trusting, but, but I knew they had been dads. And that led to, in some cases, a lot of beautiful vulnerability as we talked about, or as they talked to me and taught me about that roller coaster. Um, so lots of the guys listening here have kids and you know guys who have kids and they can be your own kids, they can be stepkids, they can be the kids of your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you know. There's lots of kids around us and they're a great way to start talking about with other men about things that matter. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about dogs too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're directly connected to our hearts. And if you know a man who's got a dog, he's probably got a pretty rich relationship with that animal that might be richer than he has with, Lots of people, so. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. Like, they, those dogs, you know, I, I don't have kids yet, so um, I can pontificate all I want about being a father and what that's like, and I don't actually know what it's like. Um, but I do know that, yeah, my dog has been there through the times where I wished, wished that other people were there as well. And, you mm -hmm. know, I just held him cried or went for a walk as you say it's funny it's still weird to say that word without out loud without him going okay oh my god i'm ready to go but he's not here right now. <laughs> yeah it's funny mine don't don't they haven't been uh programmed to that word at all i can say walk all that i want and they're like eh. but if i say other things they anyway yeah the point is we actually have lots of us have connections beyond ourselves. We're not quite as alone as we might think we are. And those are opportunities to connect with other men for sure. Now, what I want to bring up is the, how easily we can distract from, look, so my, one of my um, beliefs is that the transitions and the changes that we go through, if we're paying attention, they're more graceful than if we're not paying attention. And if we're not paying attention, they're often very traumatic. <clears throat> um, but whether they're graceful or whether they're traumatic, they, they're always about me learning something more about the world, who I am, who other people are. And, and it's a bit easier to learn that stuff if, it's, if I'm graceful about it, if I'm, if I'm going to insist on trauma, then and basically I have a whole lot of bullshit that I have to, that I'm choosing to deal with before I do the learning. But, oh, that was a long intro to something that I, I lost my way on. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about, you know, avoiding what we're going through rather than actually being in and allowing its knowledge to come through to us. So talk to me about some of your favorite ways of avoiding or distracting from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have two stark differences six months apart, you know, how I dealt with um, you know, the transition I spoke about earlier with my former partner and the transition with my dad is like with my former partner, I like that was literally the first time in my life that I fully experienced Netflix binges um, and did everything I could to distract um, porn, masturbation, uh, excuse me, uh, exercise, Netflix, social media, everything but the things that I needed to be doing. And that was incredibly painful, not only because of what I was going through, but also because then I got into the depths of you're such a piece of shit because you're not doing anything like you're a lazy slob who's sitting on the couch. Um, And that just makes it so much worse. And like you said, I'm not actually there for the lessons that are being presented to me. And I, I think somewhere, and this is gets a little esoteric, but I think somewhere our soul knows that. And it starts screaming, which is why it makes it more painful. Is our soul's like, dude, listen up. Mm-hmm. And we're like, no, no, no. And so it goes, dude, listen up. And it keeps getting louder and louder. And that hurts. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's esoteric at all. I think it's like right on the money. And <laughs> and if you're, I had a, I had a, I went through a big transition, lots of changes in my late thirties. I had an accident, uh, all kinds of stuff happened, but I, I ended up with this, with this uh, interesting therapist and she gave me this tape. I don't know who the speaker was, I call it my trust tape. And every once in a while, I have to haul it out and listen to it over and over and over again. You know, 90 minutes of this guy presenting on the power of trust. And and he uh, he had this image of, you know, if there'll be a knock on the door and you have a choice of opening it or you have a choice of locking it and then putting a door against the, I mean, a, a chair against the door and then bending over when the log comes through the door and taking it in the most painful way, he says, it's all a birth process. You either relax and go with it, or you put on the crampons and it hurts everybody. And that's, you know, that I've gone through the, the crampon birth and like, a few times. Your listeners probably heard the difference in emotion in my voice between my partner and my father. And right, I said these were two different things. And like with my former partner, like I said, I avoided, I avoided, I avoided, I avoided. And you know, it's 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 much harder to get those lessons afterwards, right? I'm still going in, I'm still grieving, I'm still doing that process. With my father, like I said, I was with my family for three weeks straight. And we did some beautiful ceremonies, like the coroner's office thought we were crazy because we wanted his body back so we could do some ceremonies with him and like spent time with him, spent time with each other, spent time sharing about him and like being in the emotion and just like letting it 
be real and raw in what was happening. And like, I did this incredible somatic grief process probably a month and a half ago now. And they asked me who was present, who wanted to be grieved. And, you know, my dog was there. Uh, a friend who was on his deathbed, another transition this year, uh, was there. And I, I felt my father as well. But it was like, mm. he didn't need to be grieved. You know, I'm, mm. there's, there's still grief, there's still sadness that's going to probably continue for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But because I had sat in it and faced it, I feel so solid about that. And like the difference is almost night and day. Mm, so. Thank you. So my thought about that is one lots of us uh, because we're not as men aren't used to feeling stuff we don't want to feel anything because we're it's so scary. So you just described mm -hmm. spending three weeks of pretty intense feeling but that at the end of it you or now it, it doesn't feel scary to you. There's no. grief, but it's not, it doesn't, you don't feel like it's going to overwhelm you. And if I may just, uh, you know, like your resistance to what the grieving of your relationship has meant that it's longer and probably more painful. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think that's, for me, that's the lesson of, of learning this, the yoga is, you know, I can, I can learn to do practices and hold space for discomfort. And, and the more that I can actually hold space for that, not only does the discomfort become less, but at some point, it, sometimes it actually turns into, I want, well, even pleasure, but it just, just opens up into something else. Well, like something that a lot of guys could probably relate to here because I relate to this very much. Like I, something switched in the grieving of my dad and that these grief and sadness are exquisite parts of this human existence, even if they're uncomfortable. But like, think about going to the gym, right? <laughs> it's really uncomfortable, especially if you've had time off. Relatively quickly at the gym, it becomes, oh, that burn, that literal pain in my muscles is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens with uncomfortable emotions, uncomfortable feelings in our body, that feeling of like just wanting to scream or jump out of our body or whatever it is like that can be, oh, I'm going through something. I'm making those muscles of however you want to put it, emotional intelligence or literacy or just simply knowing myself. That, yeah, is, thanks. that discomfort is an indicator of that. Yeah. Yeah, not something to be avoided, but something to be welcomed. Mm -hmm. Because it shows that you're a one one thing alive, and the other thing is able to feel and and what I think is for me is and enjoy so much more. I think that's part of it is if I keep if I keep closing down because things, oh, I'm gonna scary feelings, I, I just start making my world smaller and smaller and smaller and um and if i'm going to care about anything whether it's my dog or my cat or my 
granddaughter or my daughters or my sons or the woman I love or my parents, there's always going to be pain. There's always going to be, the, you know, love just means preparing to grieve. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to... St- I'm not going to give up the joy that I feel because of some fear that, that this is going to hurt. Yep. Um, I can't remember what the name of the movie is, but the recent movie that uh, Jonah Hill released with his therapist is really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. God, I wish I could remember the name right now, but it's, it's basically the last name of his therapist. And his therapist says, there's two things are certain in life, hard work and pain. And it's so true what you said, right? Like these things are certain. And I think we need to say that because, you know, joy comes along with that. Joy is certain as well. But we can be like, oh, yeah, joy is certain. Great. But if as soon as we accept that, hey, pain is a part of love. Grieving is a part of love, you know grieving is love in a different form if as soon as we accept that then we can accept the great love that comes we can accept that we can feel things we can accept that life is going to be joyous yes it's going to be easeful yes those are easy to accept but it's not going to be those things without accepting the pain and the hard work that also comes I had a woman talk to me recently about a relationship that she's in now. And she said, it's the first time. So she's in her mid thirties. She said, it's the first time that she's actually allowed herself to enjoy the honeymoon phase. Because up until now, she's a smart woman, smart enough to know that there's a lot of pain out there if she opens her heart. But for some reason, this time around, she's actually letting herself feel the joy of these, these, you know, that, 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 that first flowering. Mm-hmm. knowing that there's going to be pain but not not enough to stop her from feeling the joy mm-hmm. and i guess that's i think for a lot of us guys and certainly for me it's well you know i know there's going to be pain here so i'm not going to get too excited about things because the more excited i am the more it's going to hurt yeah exactly. uh, it doesn't work like that it's going to hurt anyway just fucking enjoy it while you can and then and then to go back to this whole course correction thing is just because something changes doesn't mean it's over you know you've gone through transitions your life isn't over you know that relationship has changed and i won't even say it's over what i realized you know some time ago was that you know all of the four significant relationships that i've had marriages those relationships they're not active in a way that most people know them but they're still alive you know like those people haven't i still have to acknowledge that they happened that there was joy that there was hardship and the more that i do that the more i'm actually open to experience what's coming now i want to go back to how we avoid because one of the things that you didn't talk about was and this is what i see a lot is the end of relationship and then just rebounding into another Mm -hmm. so basically like just 
my heart is broken. I just need somebody to fuck because I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. And I'll so, be honest, I, mean, I, I did that, even if I didn't mention it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for mentioning it because I've done it and I've, I've also been on what I would call the receiving end of that. You know, mm -hmm. it's this kind of, it's pretty normal. And I will say that most of the time it's really not helpful. <laughs> Sometimes it works for people. I haven't seen that happen too often. Mm -hmm. There's also, uh, you didn't talk about, you know, drinking and drug use. A lot of us guys just love to, you know, avoid the pain by numbing out that way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did that in former life too much. Um, I, luckily for me, like, alcohol is always like you know i partied and did all that but for the generally it, it's just made me feel sick so i'm lucky yeah that, that never but opiates i was heavily hooked on opiates for several years marijuana heavily heavy user that was my favorite numbing agent for a long long time and i once again i feel incredibly blessed and lucky that I had already gone through those and come out the other side to know that, I mean, I did drink a little bit more than I usually do. I did try smoking pot a couple of times, but for the most part, I, I knew that those were chapters of my life that were over, but yeah, those are easy crutches to fall on. So tell me about the, the rebound. What did you do with that? Or how did that work out for you? If you want to talk about it, if you don't, that's fine. Yeah, so it was interesting because one of the stories I told myself, I'm a conscious man, right? I, I've done, done the work. And so when I went out there and looked for situationships, as I like to call them these days, um, you know, I was very open about where I was at. Hey, just got out of a relationship, not looking for anything, all of this and communicated and all of that. But what I didn't communicate was like, I just want to fuck. I just want to feel loved by a woman. I, and like, you know, it, it comes down to like, I just wanted to be comforted by a woman. I wanted to have a mm -hmm. woman in my arms, in my bed. And sure, the sex is great, feels awesome, feels connecting. But what it really was is that I no longer had a woman to comfort me. Mm. And I replaced that with a pseudo -intim intimacy that happens in situationships that isn't, aren't deep. And if men truly reflect, I think you'll see that in your... Even your one night stands. I just wanted someone next to me. Yes, the sex was nice. But I don't think that's what you were actually chasing. And mm -hmm. so you were numbing the part of yourself. I was numbing the part of myself that could learn how to take care of myself. That mm -hmm. could learn how to soothe myself and be there for myself like how women are for us generally 
It's um, that I find is the hardest thing to um, to coach people through because so many of us are hungry and starving for that being held. Mm -hmm. um, I you know to go back to I guess the you know the approach that I take with with what I teach is you know that's that's part of my nervous system work is learning how to hold space for myself and let my, and hold myself. And if that's not enough, then to make sure I've got a couple of guys that I can call who will either listen to me or hold me or just go for a walk with me and let me be a mess. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. um, yeah. Go well, on. for me, what really kickstarted this was actually, you know, you said you've done work with John. White. Yeah. Um, what really allowed this to happen for me was basically going the fully the opposite. And I think that extremes are dangerous, but they can be useful as well. Mm -hmm. And John Wyland has this feminine cleanse. Yeah. And so I didn't fully, you know, do the three full months or the six full months, but what I did that allowed me to then actually tap into and learn that self-soothing was start consciously like for me it literally felt like closing doors especially when I was walking down the street like noticing where you want to get that little bit of feminine magic from people you know you catch that <laughs> you smile start closing those doors right sure you can you can smile and nod at them but notice do you hold her gaze just a little bit more that's you looking for that comfort from the feminine. Mm. Notice, hey, like when you get your coffee, if you like, do you charm her a little bit, maybe just on the edge of flirting? Now close that door. Make that a business transaction, right? If it was another man tree, you may say, how's it going? All of that, but there's nothing more there. Allow that to be, allow yourself to be contained and like consciously close those doors and just see what happens. Like when you have that conscious choice of closing those doors to women, you would be shocked at what starts happening within yourself. Thank you for that. Cause I am, um, I'm actually going to be talking to um, Kendra Kunov, who's a colleague of John's and she does a, a, um, the no man diet, she calls it. So it's a similar thing, <laughs> yeah. but I, I had, um, and this really ties into a bunch of stuff that's come up for me recently, but, and this ties into this whole, the me too thing. The, when we get into that, into that always engaging the feminine, it's pretty easy to get into a predatory place and not, and not recognize that not every woman actually wants that kind of attention from us. In fact, very few do. I would imagine that, you know, starting to close the doors, you start recognizing that women start to relax around you. Mm -hmm. And, and you one of the things that John speaks about, and I noticed, is like, when you start closing those doors, one of the hardest parts, like you said, the feminine starts relaxing, and they start approaching you. Right. And so one of the hardest parts is like, 
okay. And that's why, you know, setting a time limit on it is actually useful. You're like, no, this is going to be three months where I'm just closing the doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, ha I had a friend who, um, he came out of a long-term relationship and then he, he did a lot of, you know, was very actively engaging the feminine. And uh, finally he listened, his counselor said, you know, you need to take a break. And she gave him a year. She said, I want you for a year. And, uh, and we talked a lot during that year. It was very interesting. And he was somebody who really wanted to have a long-term relationship, to have children, to have family. And, and then he started to, he was committed to the year, but he just felt like he was never going to find that person. And uh, I am really happy to say that he's now married and has children. And yeah, beautiful. Well, not just that, but you know, to go back to the theme of transitions, it can feel like, at least for me, it's felt like when I'm going through the transition or I'm faced with it, oh my God, it's over. I will never, I will never be in love again. I will never have sex again. I will never have a family again. I will, whatever it is, it's like, oh my God, it's over. And this is where I, th I think the nervous system work, however you do that, you know, for me, it's a yogic process mm -hmm. is to slow down and to allow things to change and also to go back to the idea of the oracle things are speaking to me and what they look like isn't what they really are that nothing is ever actually over you know yeah my dad's not here to help me do work on the house but he's still with me you know he's I still I still laugh at his jokes and I still laugh at the kind of things that we did. And, you know, I miss him, but he's still, you know, that relationship's still there. I have learned how to remember the women I've been with and appreciate those times and not get hung up on all the reasons I had for being angry or whatever. Instead, Oh, like this person actually, you know, I, I really appreciated this, which has been great for my relationship with my kids, by the way, anybody listening, our kids need us to clean that shit up with their mothers, like whatever transition. And some of them are really difficult. You know, some of them are really nasty at some point, you know, I, I just had to recognize that these were good people in my life they brought me lots of wonderful things. And, and the terror of the transition is always only temporary. Like it's, and I think this is a really good time for, for you to have last words. And also you had a short practice that you were going to offer. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to you and, and then I'll just close after you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I just want quick story here because what you're speaking to is really important um i work with one man who was to be blunt a real asshole mm -hmm. a couple years ago drunk fuck boy um abusive and he has three kids i think and like none of them talk to him 
he was excommunicado because he was a real asshole to both them and his partner, former partner, wife. And he today has a really beautiful communication with all of them. His mother included, who was also excommunicado because he was willing to take responsibility. And like what you said, like these people, sure, they may have hurt you. Sure, they may have been assholes. Sure, X, Y, and Z. They're also just human beings. And your kids need you as a father. And so if you can see that and be willing to do the uncomfortable thing of saying, I fucked up and take responsibility for that and then take responsibility for changing your behavior and being a different man. You can rebuild those relationships. You can be the father. Like I think his kids are like, his son I think is 24, 25. Like you can make that happen by changing, by taking responsibility for who you are and taking ownership of that saying, yeah, I was an asshole of a dad, of a partner. And it's not going to be overnight, right? You can't just say, I was an asshole. Now everything goes back good. No, you got to start doing the work. So I just wanted to share that. Like Those changes can happen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so the practices. Um, I wanted to drop two. Because one, one I know that you are a huge proponent of as well, but this is not the one I was thinking of when you asked me to think of practices. But every man, I believe, needs solitude. And I coach all of my men to as many days as possible, take at least 20 minutes and go for a walk by yourself, even if you can without your dog, without a podcast, without a book, without music, without a friend, Go and be with yourself. So that's 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 one thing that I just wanted to say because I, I know that you are also a proponent of that. And like, it is so key to be with yourself, have a relationship with yourself so you actually know who yourself is. Mm. But the practice I wanted to leave your listeners with for going through difficult transitions and making them a little bit more. And, you know, you talked about nervous system work. We didn't get into it. There's so much to talk about there. And yes to everything you're doing is just periodically. If you need to set alarms on your phone, do that. I've had up to seven alarms in my phone for something like this. Just ask yourself, am I safe right now? And then take some time, like literally, like take a look around the room. Oh, literally right now I'm safe. And I can feel my nervous system, my body relax, like literally right now when I ask myself, am I safe? And then I actually confirm, oh yeah, I'm safe. And like just repeatedly allowing your nervous system, your body, your mind to know, hey, even though life may feel like it's going to shit, you know, you may never love again, you may never fuck again, you may never have kids, you may whatever it is, but oh, I'm actually safe. So I just want to leave you with that practice. Thank you, Sean. 
thank you uh, for sharing your year of transition. And um, tell us how we can get a hold of you if we want to do work with you. That's yeah. the easiest way. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Hans, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, the best way to to find me is Instagram. I'm at Sean L D Cook, and I spell it S H A U N, and then L D and Cook with an E. Uh, that that's the best way to find me. You can find links to my website. You can find links to my podcast on there. Um, but Instagram is easily the best best place to find me, and and then go from there. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the work you do. Thanks for taking this time. And uh, all of you who listened here, thank you. Uh, we are all changing our worlds a little bit at a time and uh, slowing down, checking if you're safe. That's a good place to start. Yeah, beautiful. Bye-bye.